Blog Talk Radio. Oh, good morning, good morning, good morning, all of our off-the-shelf listeners. Thank you for tuning in this Saturday, the last Saturday in October, October the 29th of 2011. I'm sitting here looking out my window and watching the snowfall out the sky, which is an early snowfall for here in Philadelphia. They didn't expect it till later this afternoon, but it came a little early today. For those of you who are tuning in the first time, and I, I thank our loyal, loyal listeners who've been tuning into Off the Shelf for seven years. We're heading on our eighth year, and I thank you for your your long-standing support. I really appreciate you. For those who are tuning in for the first time, I want to introduce myself. I'm your host, Denise Turney. And as I alluded earlier, I'm coming to you live from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And again, I thank you for your support, and I encourage you not to let another day pass before you pick up a copy of Long Walk Up. That's my latest book that's out on the market. It's a very inspiring book about a little girl in East Africa, the struggle she goes through after she is orphaned when her mother transitions, and what happens to her as she continues to move forward. An event that happens to her actually makes history. So I encourage you to get a copy of Long Walk Up either at Chisto, C-H-I-S-T-E-L-L.com, or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, any anywhere books are sold. You can pick up a copy. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk for it. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. This is what makes off-the-shelf so good and keeps people coming back year after year after year. Our special guest today is Omega Keys. Omega is the author of the books, Can You Keep a Secret, Seduction.com, and Passionate Playmates. She would absolutely love for you to visit her online at Omega Keys, and I'm going to spell that for you, O-M-E-G-I-A, Omega, correct me if I get this wrong, K-E-E-Y-E-S.com. No, it's K E E Y. Take the second E. Take that other E. Okay, so let me do it again. O M E G I A K E E Y S dot com. You can go over there and click on to her site right now and still tune in to the day's interview so you can learn more about her and her books as you listen to her in the interview today. So, Omega, welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf. Thank you for having me. It's so glad to have you here. As I was doing the research, I said, "Wow, she's done a lot, of, a lot of different things." And we had in in school a passion in common, uh, a running track because I also ran track when I was in high school. I want to, I wanted to start by asking you, and your and your fans are are, are on the line. They 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 supporting you. I wanted to ask you: Was there an event, Omega, in your life that caused you to realize? like a wake-up event, and I asked almost all of our guests this, was there something, a special event that just sticks out in your mind that happened in your life that caused you to realize, wow, I'm a writer? Well, the one that really sticks out is um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher, Miss um, Showalter, who happened to take a particular interest in a, um, a group of girls, and started an African-Americans book club. Well, I was already an avid reader, but she introduced Mm -hmm. me to a lot of more African-American authors, and when she wanted us to come and talk about the stuff, I would have stacks of papers about everything that I wrote about these books, like I was doing a book report. Mm -hmm. It was then that I knew I wanted to do what they did. I just didn't know how to go about it during that time. You know, and that's, that's a question I ask. Uh, our guests here at Off the Shelf and in a newsletter, book lovers have a newsletter. And it's amazing to me the different responses I get. Some people know from the time they were real young. And some people, it's an event that happens. And so many people talk about a teacher, something that a teacher, a teacher did that helped them to realize what they were here to do. And I love how you you did something constructive in and, and doing the research for this interview today. I love how you did something constructive and creative with the feelings you experienced uh, after your older brothers and sisters left home 
you, you talked about feel, experiencing feelings of aloneness, and instead of doing something destructive with those feelings, you did something constructive and creative with those feelings. I wanted to ask you, as a mother, have you seen a creative spark in any of your children? And then I want to ask you another question to piggyback on that. Oh, yes. My my sons, all three of them, well, the oldest two are very great. They're excellent drawers, but my middle son, when he has something to write about, when I look at his stuff, you know, things for school, he is very descriptive, and when he can't find something suitable to fit the subject, oh, he is he is a master of fiction, <laughs> and it's so wonderful to see it, and I get compliments by his teachers all the time. Wow. How, why 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 do you think you did? And I think this is just a blessing. Instead of taking that feeling and using it in a destructive way, was it your family background, your parents that helped you to use it in a constructive way? And you you took that feeling and you actually launched a career with it. Why do you think you took that approach? Well, um, I guess it is kind of it has to play in the part with my book Rise and Fall of a Track Star. Um, you can see a lot of the reasoning in there, but I will say that because I didn't, I never wanted my mother to um, deal with anything else, any any more burdens upon her. You know, being a single mother, having seven kids, I never wanted to burden my mother anymore. So it was easier for me to write down all everything that I was truly feeling than to sit there and put the burden on her. Then it stopped me from being a little, you know, a normal teenager and having normal issues during the time, but it was easier for the the truthful things to actually be written down and be in my secret. Wow. You and 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 I that's something I would want to just want to share before we move on. We have our listeners who tune in live and we have a load of listeners who tune in uh, after the show there to the archives. For anybody who is listening, uh, uh, writing in a journal, that is such a, a wonderful way to continue to move forward and work through things that you're feeling. I'm so glad you said that. It sounds so simple, just writing what you're feeling in a journal, but it is incredibly constructive to help you to continue to move forward in case any of our listeners or somebody they know is struggling with something right now. That's a good way to continue to move forward and express yourself. Now I want to talk about your books. Is Passionate Playmates, is that is that the first novel that you ever sat down to write? Or did you write short stories and poems and any other books before you published Passionate Playmates? My very first book was actually a book about me and my friends in high school. I had to write it for an English class with the same teacher who inspired me. Um, I just wrote it. It was a short story, and it was about them. But then I went on to write, you know, poetry, different short stories. I used to write screenplays of my little my brothers wow. and sisters talking. I was so bad. I used to write scripts for my paper, cut-out paper dolls. <laughs> so... <laughs> I've always been that way. If I was in class, you can guarantee if I was taking notes, there was a story going on alongside of the about everybody else in the classroom alongside my notes. Wow, you really are creative. Oh my goodness. So 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 when did Passionate Playmates when did it make its debut and what's the book about without giving it away to our off the shelf listeners? Um, Passionate Playmates made its original debut in two thousand two, but I had a virus on the computer, so it disappeared as soon as it made its debut. And then oh, I rewrote it back in um, 2005 and had it published in 2007. And it's basically, I call it my alter ego life. If I had not got out of college and joined the military, then that could have very easily been me. The girl, she got out of college and realized that, Everything isn't as clear cut as it is, you know that big dream. And I'm telling you, oh, if you get a um, a degree, you'll have this great job. And you know, basically, it's a fantasy. You need some experience to go with the degree. So she mm-hmm. needs to take care of herself and her family. So she started working as a lingerie modeling store. But okay. while she's there, she's basically looking at these other girls like, uh, you could just 
dance for these men, get your money and leave. Why are you doing drugs? Why are you sleeping with these men? Why are you, you know, it's her taking a look at them, trying to apply morals to an immoral situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her what? trying to find herself along the way. So so what what a, now we, we 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 you just introduced us to the to the main character in the book. Who are some of the other main characters in Passionate Playmates? And what, what if you could just tell us one key trait about their personality that will keep readers turning the pages. Um Brandy. Brandy is a is a girl in the book and she's she's a white girl that stuck doing what People, how people think black people should act and talk. So she's looking mm-hmm. at the main character like you're obviously not black because you don't speak with a lot of slang, you know, this and that. I mean, one of the things she says up in there is like, what's crack-a-lacking? I mean, she says <laughs> whatever stereotypical thing you could think a black person does, that's what mm-hmm. Brandy thinks that the main character should do and should be. Okay. So Brandy, so I, Brandy. Mm, so who who are some of the Oh, you like Brandy. You enjoy creating her, it sounds like. Who are some of the other characters? So Brandy sounds a little over the top. Who are some of the other characters, and what what about their personality? Yeah, Jade is next. She's more of the all-American Barbie doll girl with the blonde hair, blue eyes, and um, she's very good friends with my main character, Erica, a.k.a. Miss Ecstasy. She's um, good friends with her and just basically sees what Erica's doing and kind of molds herself after that. Then you have other characters like, um, shoot, I can't think off the top of my head. I think one of them is called Heather. Yeah, her Mm -hmm. name's Heather. That she um, basically, she's on drugs and she just shows up to work just like, you know, hey, I'm here. If the guys want me, they can have me. I don't care. And just look, you know, bummy and wonder why she's not making any money. Okay. So Erica gets into this business to, f- for the reason that they probably all are, just to thinking this is easy money. Mm-hmm. This is easy money, and that's that's why she is in it. Why, as I was researching for the interview, I, this question popped into my head. Why is Erica willing to put her son's lives in danger? I mean, it, it, at some point it becomes... She's got a real big decision to make. Why is she willing to put her son's lives in danger to continue with this lifestyle? Her son's never been in danger with it because he's never around it. So that's never, you know, an option. It was no different than my mother watching my child. When I went to to college, I just applied the same concept to her going to work. It's a job, just like any other job. You go in, Erica seen it as you go in, you do your time, you clock out. Her child is nowhere near around any of it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, maybe it was a little glitch in my in my research. I wanted to ask you: What is this? Is Erica, who's in Passionate Play, Playmates, is she the same Erica in Seduction dot com? Yes, she is. Yeah, in Seduction dot com, Erica basically she realizes that okay, well, I'm making money at this lingerie store, but I want more, you know, more in my life, and this industry is a billion-dollar industry, so she decides to start an online website, which, you know, there's so many, if you look on the Internet now, I mean, all these little cam sites pop up everywhere, and I basically got the idea from that because I got some spam to my mailbox inbox one day, mm-hmm. and it said online cam girl, so I clicked on it, and I was like, wow, they can do this <laughs> online? That's a lot safer than doing it in the club. Yeah. So, and so that's where you got the, the that's idea. That's you got yeah. the idea for to. Seduction.com. Yes. Are her sons grown when she starts this? And, and the website for off-the-shelf listeners is Fantasy Girls. Is is Are her sons grown? I don't know why. I guess as a mom myself, I was thinking, as how did she resolve that? I guess like you said, in her, to, her, to her, the way she resolved it was, I'm just doing a job. I'm just doing yeah. a job. That's that's it. So she didn't, that, that that's, that was to her no different than if you go to the office and do a job. I'm doing a job yeah. to make some money to pay the bills so we can continue to enjoy our lifestyles. But when she starts his Fantasy Girls website, are her sons still young or are they grown men by this time? They're still How long young. Was... It's only like okay. a six-month time, time lapse. Okay. 
from the first one to the second one. Okay. And how does she attract her clientele and the women, her employees, uh, to work in Fantasy Girls to her business? Because does she does do do her family does her family know that she's doing this? Does she try to keep it a little uh, no, secretive? She, from she's, not, she's not ashamed of what she does at all. Her mom knows because she's taking care of her. She's sending money for her mom and providing for her mom. Her sister lives with her, um, and she's helping her sister through law school. So, I mean, it's not a problem there. So, But I, I wanted to go back to one thing where you were saying that um, how it's just like a job. I did it also because I, I just got out of the military. I did um, November 1st would have been 13 years for me to have been in the military. I go oh, out wow. and I put my life on the line every day. That's a lot harder mm-hmm. than somebody going and taking their clothes off in the car. They're not risking being shot at and killed. So to me, you know, it's a job. Okay. <laughs> is, is, and less, 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 less risky. Unless you run into a client that's a little strange, uh, less risky than serving in the military. That's a good point. Congratulations right. on your on your thirteen years. You could <laughs> hang in there for seven more and get that twenty years, and then collect that oh, pension. <laughs> I could, but my passion was calling out to me, and I needed okay. to do what I'm called to do. I wasn't uh, the military was my job. I loved it while I was in it. But this mm-hmm. is what I was meant to do. Okay, okay. You very, very clear, very clear yeah. about that, and that's good that you that you know that. Now I would imagine, Omega, that they gotta be a few shady characters who use this website. If you oh, think of, of any, course. <laughs> of course. How does she keep herself, Erica, and her employees safe? Does it? it there's ways that with technology that you, her clients could track down where she is offline. How well, does she keep- I mean, none of the characters, all the stuff is streamed through Erica's main server. So whatever they're using is going to go back to Erica's stuff. And Erica does allow people in her house. You know, she has certain rooms in her house sometimes for girls that they don't feel comfortable being in being at home. However, her server is not in her house. It's completely somewhere off else off with um, Kenny, who's her IT man, in a warehouse where he is. So when they're tracking, they're not going to end up anywhere that the girls are. Did you do any research uh, on online, these these CAM websites? And I know there are uh, tons of them. Did you do any research and did any, in, to prepare to, to gather material for Seduction.com? And if so... How profitable did you find that these types of websites are? Oh, of course I did my research because I'm nosy as all get out. Um, <laughs> but I went in, I pay, I paid for a, a show, you know, for a lady. It's very, very profitable because you can see on these websites when you go up into pay to go up into a room, you can see on the side there's like different colors of the people's names, and it shows you basically like there's um money levels for how much money somebody has, like, on their card for the website. So you can you can see, yeah, there's money, and sometimes these girls are sitting there talking to, to 10 to 30 guys at the same time, and if you're paying $1.99 a minute or up, then you're talking to 30 people at a time for 30 minutes, yes, it's very, very profitable. I've seen a girl uh, in one might. time, she was sleeping making money. <laughs> they paid to watch her sleep. It shocked me, but hey, that's what they wanted. Wow! Oh my goodness, that that's 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 a little concerning when you think that somebody actually would do that to pay money to go on the internet just to watch somebody, just to watch somebody sleep. Oh, I hope no, no none of our listeners get ideas like, oh my God, that's something I can do and no, go out and make okay. some quick, go out and make some quick money. Now, in your newest novel, can you keep a secret? How long were Monica and her husband married? before Monica comes home and finds her husband is having an affair? I think 11 years. They had been wow. together since college. He was a college sweetheart, and their sons were nine, so they've been together 11. Yeah. 
and never any sign from him whatsoever that he would do something like that. I can only imagine how devastating that was for her, unless she had yeah. seen some signs along the way and she just ignored them. But that she, is like she ignored the signs, but she she lived her life for him, holding herself back in her career, never stepping out. So basically, he kind of told her before she decided to go ahead and um, get promoted at her job. You know, oh, he, he kept saying he, was, he didn't want her to do it. He didn't say it was cheap, but he kept saying he he just was adamant about not wanting her to do it or progress in her career at all, making statements that she needs to be there for the kids, those type of things. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pick up from that, though, that that if I was married, that my husband was having an affair just because well, he's saying. Not that she was having an affair, but just that he was like, he would turn into a jerk. Because it's just oh, okay. the things that he was saying. I mean, he wasn't saying it as nicely as I just put it. Mm-hmm. After 11 years, what would, what would cause him, what, as you created this his, his character, what made him change? They were college sweethearts. There was something about him that attracted her to him. 11 years. Because he was the, the type of man that only cared about himself. He only wanted what was long as he was shining and she was supporting him with his business. As long as it was all about him, he was happy. But the time that she showed that she had a little bit of ambition for herself, that was the the, the catalyst for him to be like, that's not the person that I want to be with. Some men are like that. I've dealt, I was married to a man like that. So when when so when. Uh, and she never this this kind of is what something that kind of surprises me about us as women. I think a lot of times and you'll hear women say <clears throat> that I had no idea. I had no idea he would be abusive. I had no idea he would cheat. I had no idea he was like this. But I always think, eh, we're pretty sharp. I think we do have an idea, but we just turn away from it. Did she know he was self Selfish, or she just thought she just thought he really was successful and was doing well in life, and she didn't have a clue that to him life was all about him. She was too busy taking care of him and being that forever doting wife to realize what it was she noticed to notice that he was a jerk because she's always lived and breathed and did everything for him and the kids. So no, she didn't know until she decided I want to do something for myself. And soon as she does, he's like, "Okay, good. I'll go out and get me another woman who just dotes on me." See you later. No, he was saying negative things before and just little smart comments, basically, you know, like she's not smart enough to do the stuff. Why would anybody want her in charge? You know, things like that. Like um, being more mentally abusive to her mind. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's generally they say more. Damaging the emotional, the, the psychological abuse than than anything else. Why does she? Why does she respond? Are you just coming in from home? You've been married eleven years, college sweethearts. You've got ch- uh, children. You've got a family. You used to devote your whole life to this person and to your children. You come home from work and you go up the steps and you. And I'm just seeing, thinking of that Isley. That Isley, one of the Isley Brothers songs, and you mm-hmm. go, you come in, you come in the house, and you discover your spouse with someone else. Why does she react to this the way she does? Because each one of us will react completely different when you're put in a certain circumstance. I, I just had to have her reaction a lot mildly than what I would have done, because I would have tore the place up. But <laughs> she, she. You know, you know, it was a conflict with her. Should she try to hold on to this or, you know, well, whatever, but instead it catapulted her into truly finding out who she was. Yeah, her response for our off-the-shelf listeners really took me by surprise. And I'm like, wow, oh, my goodness. I She would probably have been one of the few people to respond as calmly as she did cuz I'm thinking she would have tore that room up but she was so she was so calm about it almost like she almost somewhere within herself maybe subconsciously expected it to happen at some point she was just so cool about it and then and then Monica timed back into 
Seduction.com and Fantasy Girl Services and the Passionate Playmates, she becomes a cam girl on the Internet. Mm-hmm. What was she doing before? Was she just a wife and mother before she made this decision? No, she was a human resources manager. But she wasn't so what, she wasn't comfortable with her body or herself, so she just found, you know, it was just trying to explore who she was as a woman while she went to the cam site. You know, just trying to find a sense of purpose with herself and trying to, you know, well, if I can't please my husband, why can't I please him? Let me try to be more sexy. Let me try to be more, you know, open. That's what she was trying. She started off trying to figure out to do it for him. Okay, and then she, and then as she starts to learn about the the amount of money she can make, she gets interested in doing this at, for a career herself. Yeah, it was just a way, basically, to get back at him because he would never, ever, ever. My wife would never do anything like that. It was more of a a snub to him. Okay. <laughs> that I'm not that I'm not that I'm not this quiet little mouse. That's what she was doing. It was her own way of rebelling. Okay. Now, would you, here she is a human resource manager, and I used to work in human resource. I know she's familiar with not the laws in regards to this type of the cam girl work, but she's she's got to be up on some of the laws, uh, I want to say these employment laws wouldn't relate to this, but as far as human re- relations working in that field, she's got to know what she's going into. She Her eyes have got to be somewhat open. Just with that human resources background, did, did she go into it thinking, now, I'm the, she's, a, she's like docile, she's devoted to her husband, devoted to her children, she's working in human resources. She, it sounds like she might be dealing with some insecurity. She decides mm-hmm. to become... A cam girl, which is quite a leap from where where she is now, and I would imagine she's thinking, "Oh my goodness, this this is dangerous." Was she? How long did it take her to make that leap from she sees her husband having an affair to she checks out this cam girl site to see what can I do to please my husband so he doesn't cheat? Till she goes and gets involved in this herself. Oh, it took a while because she started off just looking at websites for online dating first. You know, let me try to see, you know, that, you know, and she flips into it that way. But she knows about the human resources laws and all that other stuff. That's why it blows up in her face later on. Because mm, I'm thinking, yeah. she, and, she, and she kept working in human resources <laughs> while she's yep. doing this. Because so she, she wanted to now, save her money. <laughs> unlike Erica, now Erica's got everything out in the open. You know, her mm-hmm. sister's living with her. Her mother knows she's keeping her, her kids. Erica's, nobody who know people who know are close to Erica, there's no secret. They know what she does. They know how she earns earns her money. Now, Monica, on the other hand, is she as open and forthcoming with what she's doing? Or is she like, oh, my God, don't let nobody on my job ever find out? Yeah, that's why it's called Can You Keep a Secret? Oh, my goodness. She, the whole and, point is she's trying to do everything in secret. And and do her children ever find out? I don't want to give away too much of the story. No, How I don't put her it that kids? her children don't. find out. They're nine. I don't put it that her, her children don't find out, but the job does find out. And and throughout all of this, she's doing these, these on the cam and, and I want to ask you this as just as a person yourself, Omega, as you do the research and the work for these books. Do you consider that somebody's doing a cam girl and they're, and they're married, even if her marriage is in trouble or not, but she's still married? Do you consider what she did to be uh, uh, unfaithful or, or cheating? She's, if she's not physically with the man, she's just doing this on a cam, on a website, do you consider that to be cheating? Would you if somebody did that? And if I knew about it, I want, I'm a very, very open person, very open. Um, if it's money, making money, and it's bringing money up into our house, I don't care. As long as they're not out sleeping with the people, stuff like that doesn't bother me. But, I mean, in her case, she was she was getting a divorce, and she ended up getting the divorce. So, you know, it was an extra way for her to make extra money because his income was no longer going to be there. 
Okay. Okay. So so um and do you, do you show your readers and and how, how, can you keep a secret and passionate playmates and in seduction.com the inner workings and the motives of your characters or do you basically like focus on the sexual activities that they get involved no, in? No, I want them to know why these people are doing what they do. The reason behind it, I want them to definitely, especially for Monica, I make sure you get all the way inside of her head because, you know, it's hard to explain it as I'm talking to you because I'm trying not to give it away with her, but it's mm-hmm. not a leap for her going into that. It's a whole transformation. She's going from, you know, the caterpillar to the butterfly. You see the transition, and I want to, you know, explain why. what would make somebody who's shy and all these other things go out and do something like this. So yes, I'm I'm very detailed in explaining why they're doing these things and what's the reasoning behind each person in there. Okay, and and now I want to talk about one of your one of your newer works, um, the rise and fall of a track star. Is this is this is this an autobiography? I know you said you ran track yourself, correct? Yes, that is my story. That's me. From childhood up until I graduated from college, that is my life. I can, now I would think autobiography. Sometimes I think it would be easy to write, and I'm thinking even about your characters. Although I'm sure your life is is is, is different from theirs, but there's some things you just don't want people to know. How difficult was it, or easy, to write? To sit down and write? Or what are parts of it? And when you were writing Rise and Fall of a Track Star, you said, nah, I ain't putting that in there. <laughs> no. With a part that was yes, difficult. I, I, wrote, I wrote this book. I didn't write this. I didn't write it for me because I've already been through it. My sole purpose for this book is to help other people. So I cried. It was gut-wrenching. Some things my mother didn't find out until a few weeks ago, but I put it in oh. there because I don't want anybody else to ever have to go things through anything that I went through alone. I can't stop it, but they can know that there's other people out there dealing with the issues that I touched on. So did I leave anything out? No, because I wanted it to be just as bad as it was when it happened to me and just as good as it was when it happened to me. Wow. Can you tell our our, our off-the-shelf listeners without, again, I don't want to get a story away, but enough for them to, to I think an autobiography alone, if you know the person who the story is about the autobiography, that generally is enough to get readers to go out there and say, I want to know more about Omega Keys. I want to know more about what helped shape and develop her into the woman that she is today. But for off-the-shelf listeners who might not be familiar with you uh, as, an, as an artist, could you just give us a few of the things that you touch on uh, in The Rise and Fall of a Track Star? Yes. Um I ran in the Pan Am Games in 1995. I won a bronze medal. Oh my I goodness, Omega! <laughs> hey, hang, hang on again. Can you hold on? Just as a as a track runner myself, the Pan Am Games that's that's pretty big. Now, what year did you say you ran in? 1995. Oh my goodness! Were you going to college when you, or were you just ran in as a professional track athlete? I went ran for Indiana State University. I was 19 years old, and I was in my sophomore year. Oh, congratulations. That's huge. I, I just know the Pan Am Games is pretty big. So you ran in the Pan yes. Am Games. I'm sorry, I cut you off. As soon as you said <laughs> that, I had to ask you about it. And a bronze medal, a huge congratulations. Well, thank you. Yep, and I qualified for the 96 Olympics. Wow. Wow, <laughs> You're making me blush. But okay. <laughs> no, I know how huge that is as a track runner myself. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Omega. <laughs> uh, um, I'm a. I became an All American three times. Um, inducted into my high school Hall of Fame. Oh my goodness. And while doing all that, I was a victim of child molestation, rape which resulted in me becoming a teen mother. Oh. Mm. I, I, I got to tip my hat to you to to tell your story. Wow. To um, to help other people 
who are going through the same thing. I really, really commend you on that. And I can only imagine how many people will be deeply touched, particularly those who know track and field, and that to get to the Pan Am Games, most people, if you say, you know, you you made the Olympic trials, would know that's pretty big. I know the Pan Am Games is a big event, and um, that's huge that you, you won a bronze there. That tells me you were really, really on your way. Once, what made you say, you know what, I'm done with track? There was the pressure. Everything had gotten to me. I've had, um, by me being a teen mom and going on to college, my mother took care of my son, but because I never told that I was raped, I've heard so much negativity. People didn't feel like I should have been in college with a child. Um, every time I achieved something big, it was the naysayers in the background, and some of them were my family members. You know that's unfortunate. And and one one thing I, one thing I've learned is that if you if we're not confident enough, at a, and, and any anybody can get hurt if somebody keeps pounding you with negativity. I don't know any human being that that won't influence or impact. I don't think anybody's that strong to just everywhere you turn, people are just, oh, you shouldn't do that, and you you shouldn't have done that, and that's wrong, and this is wrong. After a while, it's going to get to you. Uh, But one thing I I have learned, you have to just not listen to other people because a lot of times what other people say, and it took me a while to learn this, it has nothing to do with me. It's all got to do with, with them. When you're young, you don't know that. Generally, you don't know that. You think, oh, yeah, it does have to do with me. No, it doesn't. When people start making comments about your physical appearance or you doing this and that and this and turning up their nose at you and they always have something negative to say, that has nothing to do with you. If you weren't there, they would find somebody else to do that to. That has to do with them. But it it takes a while to learn that. Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm going to give it another shot? as far as track goes, or you just say, no, that's over and done with? No, I mean, because right after college, I went right into the military. Okay. But I've always ran. I've always, always ran. I mean, if you ever ran to anybody in the military, they used to call me the the gazelle. I love it. And, you know, I would be out there running with the guys, that stuff. But as far as, you know, trying to go back into it professionally or something like that, I, I actually, at one point, um, before I actually went to the military, like right when I um, finished school, at one point I actually was going to go back into it, but the conflict was I had my son. And uh. the coaches, the coach just would not give me a break when it came to, you know, the track times. I was like, look, just give me a workout. I don't have to run with y'all. I don't have to practice mm-hmm. with y'all. I'm good at it. If you tell me what I need to do, because. Honestly, through most of my track career, even when I was in high school under the tutelage of Mr. Benny Edwards, when we got to the bigger events, you know, conference, regionals and stuff, half the time nobody else was left on the track team, and I was on the track by myself. So I don't need anybody else to run with me, but I needed the mm-hmm. guidance and the support on, you know, what to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had to have a job. I couldn't just, you know, run track and then, you know, hope and pray that in the springtime I'm going to make some money in order to take care of my son. So I had to work, and I didn't get off work until 5 o'clock. And I was working in some little shipping and receiving, you know, warehouse as a clerk up in there. But I didn't get off work in time to go to practice, so the coach just basically like, you know, well, whatever. I wasn't willing to I, give up my job for it. He told me I wasn't dedicated dedicated for it, so I won't name the name of the track team. But <laughs> you, 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 I don't know if you see this in you. I'm listening to you and, and what you shared, and I really appreciate and I hope that people do go out and get the rise and fall of a track star because you were really on your way. And the things that you dealt with in life, what I see as I listen to you is that, and it could be way deep in your inner being, you find a way to keep moving forward. You find a way to keep moving forward. And that's when earlier I was asking you when you said you had those feelings of aloneness when your older siblings had left home, and you took that feeling and you started writing down how you felt because you didn't want to burden your mother anymore as a single parent of seven 
seven children, your mother. And so you started writing, and you wrote a lot. But it, as I'm listening to you, and I've done this with other guests as well as I listen to them talk, I can hear like a, a, a trend or a pattern or something about them. You find a way that almost no matter what you, happens to you, and that's really a blessing, you find a way to keep moving forward. I'm listening to you when you said from when your older siblings left, then you started writing, like, into your journal and then your creative writing you had been doing about your classmates and writing scripts for your paper dolls and things. And then, and so you, you went from that into the writing and then to the track event and then the experiences that you had with the molestation and the rape. And then you went from that into the military and then you said your writing was calling you, and now you're an author, not only just the author, but you've won many awards, including the Scribe Award for the National Black Book Festival, which I believe is hosted by Cush City. Uh, and kudos yeah. to you for that. But that's just that keep moving, moving forward. It's almost like you could trust that in yourself, that no matter what comes up, you can know, I am Mega Keys, I'm going to find a way. Because you've been doing it so far. Uh, how many pages is Rise and Fall of a Track Star? And what are maybe one or two other topics that you deal with, and even some of your successes that you've experienced in the book? Um, Rise and Fall of a Track Star is 182 pages. And um, some of the other things I talk about in the book is just um, your dynamics, dealing with um, peer pressure, learning that, you know, sometimes when times get rough, that's when you find out that your friends are not really your friends, or that even though they're teens, they're just as strong as you and can stand up and be there with you. Because my friend in the book, um, then I talk about Stacy. She's she's still my you know best friend to this day. And matter of fact, I'm I'm actually talking to you right before I go in for my book signing. She's sitting in there mm-hmm. with my mom, waiting on me to come back in the building. That's I mean, and that's a long term. We've been friends since we were 11 years old. Wow. And oh so, my but, goodness. yeah, my resolve, though, I get that honest, honest and earned from my, my. we have strong women in my family. My mother's a strong woman. She marched for civil rights. My grandmother, um, my great-grandmother is Miss Ida B. Wells. She marched with Mary Lou Hammer. Ooh, oh um, I, have, I come from strong women, and my mother has seven kids, so me having one child, and not being able to make it, there's no excuse. If she had seven, I could deal with one. Girl, you... Oh, my goodness. Do you talk about her in the book? Yeah, I don't... No, I, mean, I, don't, okay, you don't. I don't mention it at all because I don't want it to take away from anything that I was doing or the points I was trying to make in the book. So... Wow. And and that is, you know what, I have to commend you, too, because and mo- I, a lot of people probably have somebody in their family. I was watching on um, Life After on TV one other day on Christopher Williams, and his aunt was Ella Fitzgerald, but he never he never used that when he was promoting anything in his career. She, I mean, she is huge, huge. He never mentioned, I didn't, that was the first I even heard that she was his aunt. Christopher mm-hmm. Williams, who was in um, New Jack City, and mm-hmm. I think he dated Holly Berry, him. He, and that, and that was the first I ever heard Freeman. that. Yes, that was the first mm-hmm. I ever heard that um, Ella Fitzgerald was his aunt. So for you to say Ida B. Wells, and you said she was what, your grandmother? The great-grandmother? Oh, yeah. No. The Ida B., she marched with Mary Lou Hammer. Not, not Ida B. Wells, but Ida B. And then she marched with Mary Lou Hammer. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I... I that for you not a lot of people would use that in their promos to try to get more book sales. So I commend you. You're standing on your own on your own talent to to, to push your books, and you've won awards for it, like the Scribe Award and the National Black Book Festival is pretty big out there. Um, I think it held it out there in Texas. Uh, we got 15 minutes to go, and I wanted to ask you about your sequel, Single Black and Government. Owned is Miss Erica showing up in this one or Monica? No, single black and government owned is me continuing on from rise and fall of a track star because I left that at um in college when I walked away from college because with single black and government owned I want to show how all those negative things that you deal with as a child they affect you 
as an adolescent, when you move on and try to have relationships with men, you know, that affects all of your life. Yeah. So, and I wanted to talk about my experiences, you know, in the military as well, being a, a, a single mom, you know, in the military and being torn between serving my country and taking care of my child, you know, basically, you know, I'm owned by the government, but, you know, I have this obligation to my child. But, I mean, I went to the military so I wouldn't have to go back home and be on welfare and everything, and it was still that conflict there with people, you know, oh, they were dogging me out since I went to college, but, oh, they were really dogging me out when I joined the military. Hmm. <laughs> well, you keep it moving. You keep it moving, dogging out or not. Now, you published... <laughs> Passionate Playmates under Publish America for our off-the-shelf listeners who themselves may be saying, you know what, I want to publish my book. It's time for me to do that. Uh, so you, you, that's when your first one came out under. What was that like for you, and would you do it again? Under Publish America? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I republished the book again <laughs> under another oh, okay. company. <laughs> I, that was, you know, every author needs to go through it. They need to have that bad experience. I mean, you know, it is it is what it is with them, you know, but but I found a nice, happy home and passionate writer publishing. Okay. <laughs> now that was Publish America is print on demand, is that correct? Yeah, is that print on demand? Yeah, it's it's print on demand, but that's not really the issue, it's just I mean, the book was barely a hundred pages and they priced it at almost seventeen dollars. Ooh. So there's no way you could, you know, sell this book. So, you know, when I bought the books to sell them, I had to take a huge price cut in order to, you know, but you know, to move the books. And so it was like you were never making any profit. And when it got republished, the book is only $10. So Yeah, and which is more uh, in the price range of probably book readers or what they think, you know. Yes. That's, a, that's a reasonable price for for a book that size. What have you learned, uh, Omega, about the book industry that you didn't know before you published your first book? That if you are not ready to get out there and market your book and sell and promote your book, I don't care who you're published with. I know people that are published up under Simon and Schuster and they're still sitting out there asking me, can they sit at a tent with me to sell their book? So you have to be willing. That's your baby. You need to be willing to get out there and show people that, yes, I wrote this, yes, this is mine, stand behind your work, and get out there and move it. You cannot sit there and hide in your room and say, well, I published this book, and I don't know why people aren't buying it, because they don't know you. They don't know who you are. You need to get out there and let people know you in order to move these books. And that's basically what I've been doing for this past year. I haven't had a break almost every weekend. I'm at some book event. Wow. Omega, I, I, oh my God, and I know what a grind that is. Because a few years ago, I was on the road. I was up and down the East Coast. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, <laughs> on planes and driving, driving late at night all by myself, coming back home. Oh my gosh, I, I, I know about that grind. Who are some of your your favorite writers, and what is it about their work you like so much? Um, one of my favorite writers, she will always be my all-time favorite, and my mama's going to shoot me because I can't remember this woman's name, but she wrote the book called Clan of a Cave Bear. I read it when I was little, but for whatever reason, that book sticks with me, and I love it. I love how she got into their minds and, you know, of the cave people, basically, but she made them more, you know, people to me. Instead of, you know, how, you know, if you watch a movie, they just really don't look like people. They just look like mindless beings running around. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I love it. how she did that. I had that book, but I never read it. And I, I can't think of the author's name either. But it was a really, it, when it first came out, it was a big, it was a t- it was a top seller when it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't remember. So you do you have any other favorite writers? Yeah, I like, um... James Patterson, Ann Rice, um, Mary B. Morrison, Pink, Marissa Monte. Um, I'm all over the place because I just love all types of writers, and I just love books, and I love learning something new about something else. I mean, I love Stephen King, but my mind 
just goes to a crazy place reading his stuff. I've realized that I have to just watch watch his movies because as a writer, my mind, whatever he puts in those books, my mind will twist it into something way worse than what he has written now. But I still love him. <laughs> That's the author's mind. I, I think all yeah. writers do that. That's why you got to do. You, you, it's a good point. Yeah. And I just thought of this for any of our listeners who are in in the Indiana area. Can you tell us where your book signing is today? You said as soon as this interview's over, so it must be at twelve. If you could give them the the the, the name of the place and a street location, and if you have any upcoming events over the next couple of weeks, could you also give those to us? So if any of our off the shelf, shelf listeners are in those areas, they can come out and support you. Okay. Yes, my book signing for today to for Rise and Fall of the Track Star is at Sophia's House of Pancakes up in Michigan City, Indiana. That's 5250 Franklin Street, right across the street from Office Max. And uh, next week I'll actually be in New Orleans for their book festival that they're having down there, and then two weeks after that, I'll be down for the Miami International Book Fair. What, what day is the New Orleans? Is that next Saturday? Yes, it's next Saturday. Okay, and then the new you. Oh my goodness, you are getting around. And yeah. where where can I, where can our off the shelf listeners get copies of your books? They're all on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, they're in ebook format as well. They're on other websites that, I mean, there's so many websites out there that they pick them on. I mean, if they Google, they'll pull up. But, um, like, Books a Million, they're all over the place, anywhere books are sold, and in, also in a lot of libraries as well. So if any of our off-the-shelf listeners want to get Omega Key's books, she's got her, her novels, which are Passionate, Playmate, Seduction.com, and uh, Can You Keep a Secret? And that one's about Monica. Yeah, and what she goes through after she and her husband break up, and she she goes as an HR manager, and she has a another career on the side, and then the rise and fall of a track star, which sounds incredibly incredibly good, uh, is the story of the I would say maybe the first half of Omega Key's life, and then she's also working on another book, which really tells more about her life after. Uh, she went into the military, single black and government owned. But right now she's 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 marketing uh rise and fall of a track star. When do you think that sequel will be out? Single black and government owned, uh Amiga? Uh, next year. I also have two other books because I also write for the young adults. I also am in an anthology entitled In Love Unlove, which is dedicated to bully Bully Prevention and Suicide Awareness, and I have another book called The Baby Girl, which is written under my pen name, Key Rollins, and that's about a teenage girl dealing with peer pressure because I we need to focus on our youth and speak to our youth and guide them on the right track because it's up to them to help them become the adults to lead us tomorrow. Uh, all right, Un- Unloved, and that deals with bully prevention and Baby Girl, and those are young adult books that, that Omega has Wow, my goodness! When so passionate playmates, you brought it out in two thousand and two. Then you then you had a virus and your computer just went see you, and you literally had to write that book all over again. Published in oh five, and since oh five, you have come out with passionate playmates seduction dot com. Can you keep a secret? Unloved baby girl, the rise and fall of a track star, <laughs> and <laughs> you are you are currently working on single black and government owned, and you're traveling. Someplace almost every weekend. This weekend, you're, of course, in Indiana doing a book signing at 12 noon today. And then next weekend, you're in New Orleans. And then after that, you're in Miami. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Do you ever see, look, at, look at what you're doing and go, wow, yourself, or you just, just keep it moving? I, I look at it. I'm amazed sometimes. Then I call my mama, get a reality check, and she's just like, girl, keep going. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's just amazing. If somebody wanted you to speak at an organization, maybe they wanted you to speak on bully prevention, maybe they wanted you to speak to a group of young girls who might have experienced what you did, maybe they wanted you to speak about being in the military or, or an athlete, how would they get in contact with you, Amiga? And do you do you speak at – Yes, I do. 
Yes, I just actually talked to um, a group of teenage boys and girls this past Tuesday at a, um, a youth center back in Indianapolis um, where I live. I love it. I, I want to talk to the kids. I want to talk to the schools because I just want these young minds to know that there is nothing wrong with wanting to dream. There's nothing wrong mm. with that. Mm-hmm. And and I want to know that they don't have to go through bad things by themselves. Wow. I oh I just commend you. How would somebody reach out to you if they if, if somebody was in an organization they wanted you to come speak at their school, their church, some other event they're having, how would they reach you? Oh, they could contact me on Facebook through um it's author Omega Keys on Facebook. That's the easiest way to to contact me. I can't get my number over the phone. So. Uh, no, so you check you check your so you check it. You do check your Facebook regularly then. Are there I any get other alerts on my phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, good, great. So go to her Facebook, Omega Keys, and and and, and check her out if you want her to come and speak at one of your events. She's lived the the experiences that she could definitely share with with others to help them because she's lived it. And I just read about it in the book or gone to school and studied up on it, but actually actually lived it. Are there any other social networks where our off the shelf listeners can follow you, or are you only on Facebook? I'm on Twitter. It's um, O-Keys at Twitter. I just need to learn it a little better and get more comfortable with using it, but I'm on there. I'm trying. Technology just okay. sometimes. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> and that, those are good ways to keep up with your re- you Your story, I'm I'm so glad that we had you on here today. Your story is, is, is uh, our listeners, I'm sure they're probably like, wow, they would probably never have thought these things that you experienced these things in your life. As a former track runner, I'm really still stuck on the Pan Am, <laughs> which I, I know is quite amazing. Uh, what advice, we, we're coming down to our last few minutes, what advice would you give to new authors uh, who are trying to finish that first novel or publish their first book? I would say get it all out. Make sure, you know, you get it edited, not just your friend, not just the a teacher who knows English because, you know, knowing English and knowing what works for actually writing a a novel is completely different. And don't be in a rush just to slap it together and say I have a book and make people feel like they've been had. It's your baby. Take your time. Do what it needs to do. Be done to get it right. I know there are so many ways out there for people to self-publish and all this other stuff, but if you don't have the knowledge behind that, then do not do it. Just because you can don't do it because then people will look at you like, huh, this is a piece of garbage. You can have the best book ever, but if you don't know how to put it together, you know, for people to read it, you know, like a normal book because sometimes you see stuff with big, super huge spacing in between or people have a whole bunch of run-on sentences or they're not transitioning very well, just make sure you get it looked at. And if you don't know how, X around. And so do your homework. Do your homework before you, uh, and I know I, uh, Dan Poitner's book, The Self-Publishing Manual, but actually to, to have sit down with somebody, a, a professional editor uh, who's worked, and ask them what other books have you worked with so you can see some of their work. Uh, anything you do, whether you, if you're self-publishing, you're looking for a printer, or you're looking for a publisher, a mainstream publisher, I would ask around and ask other authors. Ask them for some list of clients they work with and talk with those people. Uh, and yeah, getting your book edited—that is excellent advice. Make sure you put, make sure you put put out a good work because whatever you put out is what people are going to come to know you by. Mm-hmm. They're going to come to know you by that. And if you put out a really bad book. Even if you later put out a good book, they might not go back and buy it because they're thinking, ooh, that first book was so bad. So I think that's excellent, excellent advice that you shared. Oh, our interview, we have come down to the last 60 seconds, and I am so thankful, and I I appreciate you being here with us, Omega, and sharing so much with us and and encourage people that are in, in the area to go out into the book signing today, which is at 12 there in Indy, Indiana at 12 o'clock where Omega Keys is going to be doing a book signing for the Rise and Fall of a Track Star, which sounds like one book that you're definitely going to want to get your hands on. Other books of Omega Keys that also will encourage you to support are Can You Keep a Secret, Seduction.com, Passionate Playmates, 
She's she's also written Unloved, Baby Girl, and her latest uh, uh, book that she's still working on that she's expect to have out next year, Single Black and Government Owned. Next week she's at New, New, in New Orleans. The next Saturday, the, the weekend after that, she's in Miami. She's just a woman on the go. So we want to thank Omega, and we want to encourage you to go to her website, O-M-E-G-I-A-K-E-E-Y-S.com, and support her and check out her works more um more further, and you can also keep in touch with her on Facebook, where she's she's active on Facebook. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Amiga, and I wish you so much success. I just incredible thank success. You so I hope much. you have success that actually shocks you and blows you away as you continue to move forward. To our off the shelf listeners, thank you for being here with us this morning. As I always tell you, you're so incredibly valued, so truly blessed. We thank you for your support. Please come back next Saturday at 11. Go out and create a marvelous day for yourself. You are absolutely fabulous. And, Omega, I'll send you an email. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, and bye for now.